Welcome. Thanks for tuning in. If this is your first time, we want to give a special welcome to you and say thanks for checking us out. We'd invite you to click on the digital connection card up here in the corner or leave us a comment here in the chat of how we might be able to pray for you. And if there's a question you might have, we'd certainly love to answer that. But grateful that you found us and certainly hope this isn't your last time. And if this is your spiritual home, we say welcome to you and we're grateful you too have spent some time and would invite you to use the same connection card or leave a comment in the chat here. It's something we might need to know or something we need to pray with you for. But together we come and it's day 33 of our Draw the Circle. I uh, wonder how you're doing. would love to know what you've drawn a circle around, the things that you're praying for. And you could shoot me an email at tom at lindenroad.church and just share that with me and we can pray alongside each other for that. And if there's any victories that you've seen or any movement in a way that you find really encouraging, would love to hear that too. And also, if you've not been able to stay consistent, which we all have struggled, I was on a retreat last week and it created some opportunities in my scheduling to make all the things that I need to do for my uh, daily study. But we have on our website a link to all the videos from Mark's daily challenges and you can find those by clicking on this button here. It's on our webpage. It'll take you to another list of pages of, for each week. And this is the week five. So get a sense. You can click on it. They're all gathered there together on one page just to make it easier for you to catch up. And the videos are about two and a half minutes long. So I encourage you to just walk back through those and be encouraged. Even earlier this week on day 30, Mark was in front of the Library of Congress. And I appreciate just seeing that space and just love the other places he's taken us to, but also helping our minds to center around this idea. What does it mean to, to pray with persistence? And to do that in a way that helps us to think long about what God's doing in and through us. We're in week four of our series called Circle Maker. And we are using the book by Mark Batterson called The Circle Maker. And, and that's actually where our 40-day challenges come out of, is the draw the circle. This idea that comes to us in the story of Hani, uh, 100 years before Christ, who was a rabbi who called on God to pray after he drew a circle and said he wasn't going to move until God showed up. And so this week we're going to talk about thinking long. So one of the stories that Mark shares, there is an island outside of Sweden where there is this mysterious grove of oak trees. And it's mysterious because oak trees aren't indigenous to that island. And for more than a century, they weren't quite sure where it came from. What's interesting is the Navy got a letter from the Swedish Forestry Department saying that their lumber was ready. And it was like, what? What is that all about? Well, it turns out, uh, first of all, the Navy didn't even know they had ordered lumber. But doing some research, back in 1829, the parliament had issued a directive for a grove of trees to be planted so that when uh, trees needed to be made available to repair boats for the Swedish Navy, they would be available, which is kind of crazy to think that forward and to know that actually a memo could be carried forward 150 years for when it was ready, right? And there was one lone objector, and he was in the church. He was the Bishop of Estrangas. He didn't doubt that wars were going to be fought uh, in the 20th century, but he, he was the only one who anticipated that ships might be built out of something else other than wood. Then there's another story about Dan Hillis, who is one of the founders of Intel, how he and some others, uh, Jeff Bezos from Amazon, are investing some 
$50 million into a clock that's in the uh, ground out in uh, East Texas, a clock that will take human intervention to wine, but something that will last for 10,000 years. I mean, that's just like, who, who would think of those things? Or there's a story also told about the, the new college in Oxford, where when it was built in 1300, 17, the local uh, contractors built a grove of a particular kind of locust tree uh, outside the campus so that when the roof rotted, there would be the same kind of wood available to rebuild the roof. Again, we don't think about that, especially in our disposable society, right? Uh, Many of us have all sorts of drawers filled with technology that was good even five years ago, but we don't use today. How many of us have floppy disks or a zip drive? Uh, Everything is now digital and it's in the cloud. So when we think about this in the context of prayer, one of the things that thinking long does for us is it helps us to think different. And prayer is the same way. Uh, Prayer, Mark says, doesn't just change our circumstances, but more importantly, it changes us and the way we see the world. The idea that when we alter our external realities, it will then alter our internal realities. It changes the way we see things so that we end up seeing things through spiritual eyes. It can actually give us a vision, a peripheral vision, if you might, that helps us uh, to see things that we don't see. It corrects maybe our nearsightedness. And it also allows us to see beyond our own circumstances in the moment, to be able to see beyond ourselves and even beyond time itself. And so... The big idea that Mark wants us to wrestle through in this week is it's not enough to dream big or pray hard, but it's also we have to think long. Because if we don't think long, if we think just in the moment, I guarantee you we've all experienced a sort of a high degree of of discouragement. And, And why is that? Well, again, it's this idea that we tend to overestimate what we can accomplish in a year. And then, of course, we also tend to underestimate what we can accomplish in a decade. And so Mark wants us to see here that the bigger the vision we have, the harder that we'll have to pray, and the longer that you're going to have to think. If you keep circling, it's going to eventually come to be in God's time. I mean, think about today, where we sit right now. Uh, This is a building that was built in 1968. But where did this come from? Well, it came from a group of people who in 1817 decided to gather together in the blockhouse down on the square in Mansfield here and who over the years then moved from the blockhouse to a building at the corner of Mulberry and 3rd, and then eventually decided that building wasn't sufficient and moved out here in the 1950s. Out here is about three miles from downtown. At that time, this was just a rolling meadow. It was the edge of town, and and so they established the building here. Uh, The first part was built in 1955 and dedicated, and then they came back in 1968 and built this space that we're in right here, the sanctuary and and the educational space below. And then you think about how I'm talking to you today, here we are on the digital platform. None of that existed 100 years ago. And yet I I wondered, even as I challenged the folks that were in the building for worship last week, you know, what were the prayers that those people prayed 100 years ago or 200 years ago when they started this? Did they have us in mind? Did they have this in mind? Obviously not. But at the same time, the mission is still there to take the hope of the gospel that Jesus Christ can change lives and he can meet people in their brokenness. 
Now, now as we think about all that that means in terms of this particular church's impact in the community along with the other churches that are here, we have to be reminded that sometimes we don't see what's going to happen, and it could be decades. Now, it's interesting. There's a couple things here I want to point out, but I want to use a passage from Daniel. Daniel is a man that we look to in the Old Testament to show us how to live our lives, right? Daniel was so faithful. But there's one particular part of his story that comes to us out of Daniel chapter 10, beginning with verse 12. An angel is speaking to Daniel, and he says, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom and resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the division concerns a time yet to come. So what's going on here? Well, it's kind of kind of crazy, to be honest. It, can you imagine having a conversation with your guardian angel? Because that's who Daniel's talking to. It probably be the most unsettling conversation that you've ever had. But it's probably something you want to wait to have until you get to heaven. But in this case, Daniel got to have a short conversation on this side of the pearly gates. Uh, and for some of us, I think it would be an awful long conversation because some of us have kept our, our angel pretty busy. And I'm guessing that's true about Daniel. I can't help but wonder in my own mind if he had a little side conversation even about the time he spent in the lion's den. And it's funny here is in all angelic greetings, they start out with what? That simple phrase, do not be afraid. I guess that's just part of the protocol. When angels show up, that's the first thing they need to say to sort of settle ourselves in the midst of that experience. And then what the angel does is he reveals the reality of what he had just had been working through in the spiritual realm in, in a way that we don't see anywhere else in Scripture. And it's really helpful when we think about our own stories. Because I know our story, your story, my story, the stories that we're all living, that our struggle isn't just against flesh and blood, Paul tells us. It's against principalities and powers in the air. And here's a real uh, telling of that particular understanding. So the angel says to Daniel, so the angel underscores the importance of praying through, as we've talked about these last couple of weeks. The angel also helps us understand that there's a spiritual battle going on here, and it's being waged way beyond what we're aware of. And then the angel reveals how the, these prayers are processed. So go back to this line here where Daniel is told that his prayers were heard before the words even passed through his vocal cords. But it wasn't until the first day that he experienced a breakthrough because of all that was going on in the spiritual world. There was an evil spirit, the scriptures tell us here, it was the prince of the Persian kingdom, who resisted the call for the angels to show up. And they kept causing frustration until day 21, we're told. Now, I can't help but wonder, what if Daniel had quit praying on day 20? Well, like we've talked about before, right? We talked about the, the wall of Jericho and how they walked around that wall 13 times. What if they had stopped on, on trip 12? Or the story last week we told about Elijah who prayed for rain, or even the story of Hani that has begun this series, that if we stop praying for breakthrough, then whatever God's going to do could disappear. Now, what do we know about Daniel? Well, when we look at his story, we know that from a perspective of just as a leader 
of his day that he was brilliant and that he was well known and that he was maybe what we would call a Renaissance man before the Renaissance. I mean, because the Renaissance didn't happen for another 2,000 years. But Daniel had the ability to understand both philosophy and science. He could explain the riddles that, and he could solve problems unlike anyone else in his generation. You remember, he had the dreams and he could actually interpret the dreams. And so I think one of the things that sets him apart wasn't just his intelligence, but that was actually his persistence, what we talked about last week. Because we know that Daniel prayed circles around the greatest superpower at the time, that was Babylon. And because he got on his knees, he was able to bring kings and kingdoms to their knees. Now, he didn't just pray when he had a bad day. As we know from Scripture, he prayed every day. We know that got him in trouble, right? He didn't just, when life was complicated, pray, but he actually was part of, there was a rhythm to his life where he prayed three times a day. That prayer was his life, and in some degree, his life was a prayer. Now, I'm going to guess, as Daniel was getting thrown into the lion's den, he probably prayed with a little more uh, intensity than, than normal, partly because he wasn't sure what was going to happen. But that uh, ability to pray in that moment, one would suggest, came from the fact that he had been consistent up to that point. For what we know about Daniel, it seems as though he approached every situation in life, every opportunity, every challenge, and every person with a sense of prayer. And it was that posture of prayer, if you will, that led to one of the most unlikely rises of power in political history. Because the question is, how does a prisoner of war become the prime minister of the country that took him captive in the first place? And when we look at Daniel's story, it sort of defies political science, but it does define the fact that his consistency in prayer, one of the things that we shows here with Daniel is that uh, when we pray, it invites God into the equation. And when that happens, all things change. And that's a cool thing to think about. It doesn't matter whether we're talking about the locker room or the boardroom or the classroom. It doesn't matter whether you practice law or medicine or or music. It doesn't matter who you are or what you do. Mark says it this way, if you stop, drop, and pray, then you never know where you'll go and what you'll do or who you'll meet. And so the simple adage we want to embrace is to stop, drop, and pray. I've been to the National Gallery of Art a number of times over the years, and there is a larger-than-life portrait there of Daniel in the lion's den, uh, painted by Sir Peter Paul Rubens. And it may be an accurate depiction of him, but what's important to understand about Daniel isn't his external looks. It was his internal understanding of himself, his what Mark calls his persistent quotient, that that was unparalleled and, and evidenced by his habit of getting on his knees on a regular basis. In fact, it, we're told he got on his knees three times a day. He prayed through an open window, and we know that got him in trouble, right? And he prayed towards Jerusalem. And even when the Babylonian king Darius outlawed prayer, Daniel continued to stop and drop and pray three times a day. One might suggest that there isn't anybody that prayed with more consistency or intensity than Daniel. And so it's his persistence in prayer that is so remarkable that he knew that his dream of rebuilding Jerusalem wouldn't be fulfilled during his lifetime. And that's what we want to see here, that he prayed towards the city that he knew He'd never see with his physical eyes, but he saw it with his spiritual eyes. Daniel prophesied that it would take 77s, or what amounted to our 
understanding of 70 years. And so I just wonder, you know, is it possible for a man to dream continuously for 70 years? Well, Daniel did. He did just that. He never stopped dreaming big or praying hard because he was thinking long. And that's what prophets do. He wasn't looking just beyond the Babylonian captivity to the restoration of Jerusalem. He was looking even further to the promise there would be a Messiah. And not just a Messiah who came the first time, but a Messiah who would come a second time, the very person of Jesus Christ. So in Daniel's understanding, he's actually thinking in terms of millenniums. And so his prayers and the prophecies that he laid out are actually the seeds of our salvation. And we get to reap those blessings because of what Christ has done for us until he returns. And what's interesting in Daniel's perspective, and it has to be with that consistency and the persistency that he encountered God on, on a daily basis, that he had a mindset or he, he knew that his prayers wouldn't be answered for 70 years, and yet he prayed with the same kind of urgency as though they would happen tomorrow. Now, for some of us, we might have waited till the end of the 69th year to start praying, and that wasn't Daniel. He started on the very first day. He had this ability to pray with urgency about things that weren't urgent. And I guess that's probably the most important dimension of this idea of thinking long, that drawing prayer circles often feels like a long and boring process. And it's frustrating when you feel like you've been circling forever. You start to wonder if God really hears, if God really cares. And sometimes his silence can be deafening. And when we think about it, when we draw a circle around cancer or around our children or around whatever dream that we might have, and it seems as though it's not making a difference, what do you do in those moments? The encouragement here is to stop, drop, and pray, that you have to keep circling. You have to pray through. You have to circle for 70 years if that's what you have to do. What else are you going to do? Where else are you going to turn? And what other options do you have? Again, it's this idea of praying through. Because we live in a culture that pays too much attention to our 15 minutes of fame and undervalues lifelong faithfulness. Might be that we've got it backwards. Just as uh, Mark says in the book, Mark says in the book, just as our greatest successes often come on the heels of our greatest failures, our greatest answers often come on the heels of our longest and most boring prayers. But if you pray long and boring prayers, your life will be anything but boring. To be honest, your life will turn into the spiritual adventure it was destined to be. Now, it isn't always going to get you where you want to go, but it will help get you through to the next thing that God wants to ask you to do. Now, one of the things that Mark suggests in the book is this idea of prayer postures. He says our posture of prayer is really important. He suggests it's like a prayer within the prayer. It's a way to give a perspective to our communication. He says posture is to prayer what tone is to communication. So, or maybe saying it this way, if words are what you say, then posture is how you say it. Now, there's a reason why when we get into scripture, there's all sorts of ways to pray. There's getting on your knees. There's falling prostrate uh, on your face. There's the laying on of hands. There's the anointing of the head with oil. All these things help to center our hearts and mind. And so when you raise your hands in worship, it symbolizes your surrender to God. And even here at the church, we've tried to practice when people are uh, entering into a new chapter as we 
baptize or as people, when Joanne Marshall moved uh, recently, we, we circled up and laid hands on. Or we had a, a couple friends here in the building, Walt and Scott, who were going in for some medical procedures, and we circled up and prayed. Partly what I love about that is I want people to feel the weight of others around us, especially in this season coming out of the pandemic when we were all so far apart. But to actually feel someone touch your shoulder and to know that they're praying for you is a, a very encouraging thing. Now, it's interesting, the Quakers, they had a model of prayer, a unique way of prayer that maybe you want to try. It starts out with first they have their hands facing down on their, on their lap as they sit, uh, which is basically symbolizing the things we need to let go of. And it involves in that time for them a time of confessing sins and rebuking the fears and, and then giving up control. But then they eventually turn their hands over so that they're face up. And then they turn their hands over so that they're facing up, which is a posture of receiving so where we can actively receive what God wants to give us, the things that we've talked about as children of his, uh, the idea of joy and unspeakable peace that passes all understanding, right? And the unmerited grace that he wants to lavish upon us. We receive the fruits and the gifts of his Holy Spirit. And we do that by opening our hands and receiving it into our hearts. Now, I want to say there's nothing magical about any of this. But there is something about the act of it that it, it does remind us in Scripture that this is a posture we should take. And I want to also say that there's something mystical about it, that when we practice those prescribed postures, we are doing what has been done for thousands of years. And it's a part of thinking long that is appreciating the fact that there are these timeless traditions that connect us to our spiritual ancestors, those that have gone before. And we know, too, right, within the church, the life of the church, that things come and go. We know that, for example, in the history of this church, one of the things that complicated its journey, there was a point when they used to sing a cappella the Psalms, and somebody changed the tune 200 years ago, and that upset some people. And so some people actually left the church over it because that wasn't the tune they knew. And then not too long after that, it was reported that there's a thing called the organ showed up that totally complicated people's life because it just didn't need to be here. And yet things ebb and flow. And it's beautiful, even with the most recent release of the Jesus Revolution, Michael W. Smith has just done a song that I remember singing many years ago as a boy at church camp, that they will know we are Christians by our love. And how beautiful it's been as we've sung it here and we sang it even on the night of prayer here in, on March 7th, is to be reminded. And there's older songs that we uh, lean into. There's also new ones, ones that we've played here recently called Gratitude. It's a, a recent release, and I love what the song encourages us. Uh, a couple things, one in particular about I raise my hands and giving us permission to remind ourselves that that's a posture of worship. But then also it talks to himself, the, the singer does, about his soul not giving up to lean in and to offer praise to God with gratitude. Those are just great words to be reminded of. So there is this idea here that when we lean into praying in different ways, in different postures, we, it connects us to those that have gone before us in, our, in, our, in the ancient times. And that when we practice those things, as it's prescribed in Scripture, it helps us do what we've been trying to do through this series to dream big and to pray hard and to think long. So we're in this season here in this church as we continue to pray circles 
around our future. It's like climbing a mountain, I think. The dream or the promise and the miracle seems a ways off of what this church can be in a new day. But the thing we're reminded is if we keep circling that anything is possible, that with each prayer there is a small change in our elevation, that with each prayer that we pray, that we're one step closer to the answer. And that should be an encouraging thing. And that the harder the climb seems to be, I think the promise is going to be the sweeter the summit. I know when I ride my bike, sometimes going up a hill, it's getting to the top of that hill to what I can see, especially if I've not been there before, to see what's down the other side. It can be a very beautiful thing. That I think this is true for our prayer time, that the more we have to circle something in prayer, the more satisfying it will be spiritually. And the beautiful thing out of all of that is the more glory that God's going to get. Too many times we, we want to treat prayer as a 911 call, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. We want God to answer our prayers as soon as possible. And so what we need is we need a paradigm shift. And in this week, sort of the big idea to land on is that we need to be willing to pray for as long as it takes. And the beautiful thing about that is that when we pray, let's pray that it will take long enough and be hard enough for God to get and receive all the glory. So we shouldn't be looking for the path of least resistance. We should be looking for the path that gives God the greatest glory. And that requires some hard prayers and also lots of circling. Very rarely does our first prayer hit the bullseye of God's good and pleasing and perfect will. The truth is most prayer requests have to be refined. And, and drawing the circle helps us to do that. The prayer that saved a generation didn't hit the bullseye the first time. Remember where we started. Honey refined his question twice. Remember he says, not for such rain have I prayed, because he wasn't satisfied with the sprinkler or the torrential downpour. It took three attempts to spell out exactly what he wanted. The rain of your favor, blessing, and graciousness. See, Hani drew a circle in the sand, and then he drew a circle within the circle that was within the circle. So as we end today, I want you to think about for a moment, in a time of reflection, what promises or miracles or dreams are you willing to pray for as long as it takes? Take a few moments here and consider that. So let's pray. Father, we're grateful for just walking in this season. We're grateful for the story of Hani, and we're grateful for the faithfulness of Daniel and for Elijah and for Joshua. 
Help us have that same kind of faith as we draw our circle so that you can show up and that we can give you the glory. And we pray it through the name of Jesus. Amen.